Living the Dream acknowledges the traditional owners of the land it is recorded on, especially the Jagera and Turrbal peoples, elders past, present and future, and their continuing struggles for justice and self-determination. I wonder if you'd believe this as a solution to the Aboriginal problem. Herd the worst of the Aborigines into one area and put a chemical in their water that sent them sterile. In time, there'd be none of them left. Well, that solution has been put forward by none other than one of the Premier's closest friends, West Australian mining magnate, Lang Hancock. Yeah, my trust in the police died in custody. Handcuffed and stuffed inside some fuckery. Double knees to keep my breathing shallow as my grave is. On my best behaviors, till we end up leaking on the pavements. Best believe it's racist if we both walk in the same shop tomorrow. And only one gets followed by the same cops. The only difference is our pigments. At least that's what the pigments. They wanna put us all back in the pig pen. But not all are still thinking we fauna. This real life, hit him with that one, two. To me, a rise, clear sight. Nothing's getting better And they ain't gonna let up Till we get that gut full and fed up We starving That's when they told me Looking out for justice was outdated Deal with it and trust the judges What the fuck? Newsflash, motherfucker, I don't respect ya Ignoring that is easy when it won't even affect ya I called them out Wah wah, I called them out Said I called them out Wah wah, I called them out Said I called them out Wah wah, I called them out I called them out And then I saw them out quick Hey Briggs, you called them out are no good to themselves and can't accept things, the half-caste, and this is where most of the trouble comes. I would dope the water up so that they were sterile and would breed themselves out and fish, and that would solve the problem, solve the problem, solve the problem. Yeah, skin of onyx, menatronic, sipping gin and tonic, and hitting chronic, a spit of bionics, fuck the system. I heard they building up another prison, right outside the subdivision. Officer friendly, swallowing Henny, intoxicated off power, following any vehicle occupied with people of color. So I'm keeping my brother. The power's against me. Mama convinced me it's good, and everybody and everybody was good when they used to lynch me and drench me. I'm speaking for victims. Many don't have a voice shuffled in the system. So we shared the wisdom. Speaking of life, lost to killing our kind and barely getting time off. They say we really shouldn't talk about I say the opposite, call them out Yeah, yeah, I call them out I call them out What, what? I call them out Said I call them out What, what? I call them out I call them out And then I sort them out quick the just came along and the, these bureaucrats and the rest of them who write great thesis on things down south and they decided that they better go and civilise these savages of ours so they brought them into the towns. Third class citizen, never got rid of him Locked in the system, no presumption of innocence I keep the mind state militant I keep watch on my brothers cause my state's killing them I keep my whips inconspicuous Cause these pigs give a fuck what you win Cause what you drive may be where you die If you pull over your mutt and pull out a lie Raising my hands, drawing the line in the sand So there's no excuse for a gun in the bag To let anything fight If anyone dies, make sure every cop shop in the city fries It's easier to kill us than steal us What good's a gorilla?
fuck that, I say the opposite. I call him out. Now, I wouldn't mind, Philip, if it was just the black, the true Aborigine. But there are so many hybrids, and they are nearly white. And this is where it hurts me. It hurts me. It hurts me. G'day, you're listening to the Living the Dream podcast. I'm joined by Dave. Hi, how's every, how is everyone? <laughs> all of all the all the one of us. Yeah. All the one of us. I was doing a shout out to our fans. Oh, we have fans now. We have a fan page. Well, we do. So, John, do you want to tell us about this? Yes, I just set up a Facebook page uh, for Living the Dream podcasts. I know it's been a while, but we are going to try to be a bit more semi regular than we ordinarily are. It is. We're, we're, here, we're here at the beginning of 2017. Uh, today's show is going to be, um, I guess, kind of trying to go, hey, where are we at? What do we expect is going to happen in 2017? I was tempted before doing this to listen back to our beginning of 2016 show and mm. then go, were we right about anything? But I no, thought that would be too condemning, just... so I just saved myself that pain. It would have just been self-flagellation. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so Dave, you're on Twitter at with service sensors in case anybody cares about that. And yes, I'm at Pacini, which people also probably don't really care about. But <laughs> I attempted to set up a Twitter profile thingy uh, for the page as well. Excellent. The dream. Uh, so yeah, you can contact us on Facebook and contact us on the Twitters. And yeah, one thing that interests me is it'd be good to figure out if people listen to us more on like. Apple or on the Podbean thing. So maybe put up, maybe I'll use this new medium to extract quantitative data from other listeners. Data mine. Yep. That's, that's, everyone's doing it. That is excellent. All right. I think we should get into that. That sounds like a great idea. Mm. Uh, so I guess like um, today, what I wanted to think about is, you know, what are we, what are we seeing that's going on, I think, mm. in Australia and the contradictions in Australia at the moment and where do we imagine that's going to go Mm. Um, and I think keeping in mind that we've been like really bad with prediction um, and what's possible but I think we can see some kind of stuff that's going on and I thought probably a good thing to talk about because it is January the 26th Mm. was the invasion day protests that happened today yep John you went to the protest or the march in in Brisbane do you want to tell us about it yeah I mean I think it was pretty like really sizable like I understand the last years and this year's, again, have been like over a thousand people. I probably mm-hmm. estimated around 2,000 at the march in Brisbane and the spirit was really, really high. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was just like people were, yeah, like there was a whole bunch of young people there started, which is really great. Um, and just people who I'd never seen before, which is even better. Um, and yeah. It's really, there's a lot of talk about kind of struggles that were coming up and not a lot of, yeah, not a lot of kind of back, backwards thinking or, or thinking about, I guess, what have, um, I guess in terms of thinking or even about the global situation, we're just thinking about, you know, what's coming up like the Stolen Wealth Games um, in 2018 um, with, the, with the Commonwealth Games happening on the Gold Coast. It's going to be really important. And then obviously um, Don, about, talking a lot about Don Dale. Mm-hmm about so obviously incarceration in general uh, and the um, increasing uh, stolen generations, the return of the stolen generations. So there's a lot going on. Um, but yeah, the, the march was really great. Like it was huge. 
like probably the biggest demo I've been to in years. I've been to, I remember back in 2007 when, or 2006, you know, when Invasion Day would only draw a crowd of like maybe 200 at best. Mm. There's something, something like has quantitatively changed obviously in terms of the numbers, but there's something, I was talking to Rob, a uh, long-time friend of the show, about this. And yeah, there's a lot probably to unpack in terms of why the indigenous movement has exploded so much. Yeah, and, period. and even just kind of aesthetically, like I, I saw these kind of banners that were these huge banners that went like down mm. the top of the crowd that people were carrying. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, totally. That was like, I was talking about that. It was like quite a uh, achievement, you know, as I think I described as communism in one banner. Yeah. Like yeah. It had to uh, cooperate very diligently to keep it afloat. So it, was, it was very heavy. Uh, but yeah, like it was really cool. Like the aesthetic was there, and like the war, the warriors of the Aboriginal resistance aesthetic is right on, and mm. really, really cool. And they were all that was all over the place, and yeah, no, it was it was it was really it was it was a really good day. Yeah, that, that sounds that sounds really amazing. I, I, and then I think what we what did we also see like in Melbourne, there's some estimates of fifty thousand people, but apparently it's more likely about six thousand. Yeah. Um, thousands of people in Sydney as well, and there seems to be quite like a violent police intervention in that rally, but mm. also a kind of much broader debate around change the date, get rid of the date as well that's been going on. It yeah. certainly f like feels like like a moment, right? And, and the, the thing that I've been trying to think about is like, why is this happening? Yeah. Like on one hand, it does seem very far from a distance that there is like a new cater, for lack of a better term, of young indigenous leadership yep. in, the, yep. in the shape of groups like Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance. Mm -hmm. But then I've also been thinking as well, well, there's also kind of on the cultural front, you know, the intervention of like AB Original and their January 26 song, the, the band. So, which was Rob of a top 10 position in the Triple J Hottest 100, I will remark. Well, that's because it's pretty interesting, right? But then then also like bands like Dispossessed, um, which I think are, are more kind of like not really operating in that kind of Triple J framework, but have also been a bit of a cultural force lately. And like yeah. almost kind of like I, I see them as one of those bands that are kind of like reinventing um, like agitprop, right? Yeah. So they do this really like for me, aesthetically pleasing kind yeah. of like heavy music. So that's one thing. Yeah. But they're also like deeply politically engaged and in have been really pushing kind of really confrontational, again, stunts for a lack of a better term. That's not used to dismiss yeah. it, but like these yeah. kind of cultural interventions that have yeah. been like hitting the mainstream media, hitting the ideological sphere. And yeah. then I also think there's that, you know, this kind of generation of like indigenous writers like mm -hmm. Celeste Little, um, Amy Maguire. Yeah, and I was thinking about Celeste Little and Amy Maguire. It's like it's not just that they're like like a generation of Indigenous writers. They're probably like the best young columnists in Australia. Yeah, except definitely. for your mate on Twitter. Is it Eleanor? Yeah, Eleanor um, Robertson. Yeah, but like, but apart from them, it's like who else would you read? Really, in terms yeah. of like the broad, so you have this like this kind of generational kind of experience, and then I was also thinking like, what was two thousand and sixteen for Indigenous people? 
Yeah. It was like a year of state violence, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was a lot of that. There was a lot of a lot of discussion about about that and that makes the police intervention in Sydney kind of frames that mm-hmm. in a way that we might need to discuss. But yeah, no, definitely. It was a year of a year of, of real kind of of real violence, but also of real resistance. Yeah, because I think I was trying to like think. I didn't have the stats ahead of me, and I was like, so you know, there are a number of important cases last year of the state, you know, yep. killing young Aboriginal people or yep. detaining young Aboriginal people and subjecting them to torture. Yep. Or I think the other thing that was quite that really struck everyone was basically the racist equivalent of a lynching of a young Indigenous guy in Kalgoorlie and then yep. the person doing that basically being given a manslaughter charge. Yeah. But this isn't new, right? Like this kind no. of violence has been part of the colonial project. Why is it exploding? I think it's that kind of, yeah. it's that generational, it's, mm. there's this, there's this the, people have really got their shit together. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think that, yeah, I think that's right. And I think the lynching thing, obviously, with its connections to, like, America, I think that there's a lot of kind of mm. transnational, for want of a better word, flow of this kind of stuff. Like, in terms of what's inspiring the warriors of the Aboriginal resistance, there's a lot of it is, you know, the same kind of African-American radicalism that was inspiring people in the 60s and 70s. Mm. Well, you've, 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 I think you can say... And some really solid evidence for that, like you know. So mm. this year there was a, Black Lives Matter as yeah, well. Yeah, there was a Black Lives Matter rally in Brisbane, right? Yeah. Where yeah. you know had this really interesting encounter between like young African diaspora kids, you know, teenagers, yeah. and the crew around Warriors Aboriginal Resistance, and that mobilizes a couple of hundred people, maybe up to five hundred yeah. people in the middle of the year. You know, mm. dispossessed in their songs have samples yeah. of black of the Black Panthers. Yeah. Right. So. You definitely see that going on. And then I think as well, like, Standing Rock mm. as, like, a global Indigenous struggle, which people, yep. you know, with the Adani mine, mm. which I think is something else that we're really looking at this year, is this year going to be a fight around the Adani mine? The, I can see that kind of transnational resonance that's going on there too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that inspiration is kind of one of the, like, I think it is, yeah, like this young cater of, of amazing people coming up. Um, and, and also I think, yeah, a lot of this, you know, a lot of that is a symbiotic relationship here, obviously, between, you know, the, the global radicalism that's inspiring and, you know, says you can do this kind of stuff, you know, mm. that, you know, everyone else is doing this all over the world, so let's do it, you know, yeah. and there's, a, there's an interesting relationship there. And, and also, like, we're hitting this moment where I think the Australian state has no place for these people. Like you're like you're the historian, so I, I don't mean to be like to get onto you to cut your grass, um, but but, <laughs> the thing, grass. but the thing I've been thinking about right is just like you know the, like the Hawke Keating government, mm. right, which was probably the most successful capitalist government in Australia, Australia's history, perhaps, in their project of reinventing Australia, which was neoliberal, had a mm. really kind of socially progressive element to it, and had like a a project that even if you could criticise from the left, that was meant to be about fundamentally achieving justice. Mm. Um, You know, so I think that would be, how do you add it up? It would be, you know, Bob Hawke argued that they were going to achieve a treaty, Mm. right? Then there was the the limited land rights that came through after the Mabo decision in terms of native title. And then there was also, like, a symbolic politics with an attempt to, you know, that the flag was going to change, 
um, yep. that Australia was going to become a republic. But I think also, which you know, there was ATSIC, you know, which mm. was uh, like, and for all the criticisms that there exist of kind of like forming an Aboriginal bureaucracy, this yep. was a body that was meant to give Aboriginal people representation in the functioning of the state. Like yep. that was like that was a project that that they had. And with the defeat of the Hawke-Keating government and then the defeat of the Republic, the, the Republic referendum mm. under Howard, that was completely fucking smashed. And yep. the, the alternative that was has been offered, and also as well, like, you know, the Labor Party post the Keating election defeat did not defend that heritage in any way. Like, yeah. they just completely dropped it. And then it was just, you know, from, from Howard on, an argument that, oh, the problem is indigeneity, right? Like, yep. you know, that... How do you explain this dis- this horrific disparities in terms of quality of life for Indigenous people? It's because they hang on too much to indigeneity, yeah. um, and then a kind of a celebration of, of Noel Pearson, who's worth t- t- talking seriously about as well. Yeah. Um, and so I think you know you have this 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 new generation, and the state mm-hmm. offers them nothing, right? So if you've already got this kind of radical politics, and the state gives you no way that you can engage through official channels. That's just going to intensify the radicalisation, you know, because there's not even that recuperative function anymore. Yeah, that's what the Labour Labour we've got out, of course, is that integrationist sort of uh, politics of bringing, um, bringing in activists and saying, you know, we'll give you minor changes, minor positions, you know. Um, but what's important, I think, what you're talking about is all true, and I think it, it's like... The 70s and the 80s and the early 90s is the best great period of this kind of like self-determination politics. Mm-hmm. So there was this is all born out of I guess the 1970s movements and 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 pan-Africanism and black power and nationalism and whatnot and, and this is a, a project being pushed by indigenous people as well. You know, so obviously Hawke and Keating had a project around this which was um, multiculturalism mm-hmm. and is a way that is also incorporating everybody into the Australian nation and I think you know you can look at that in even broader terms in terms of Keating's push to Asia as well and thinking about reinventing Australian national identity is instead of being about colonization or about or about Anzac and mm. Gallipoli being about the defense of Australia on the Dakota track yeah um, but you know there's there's a whole process of kind of national reinvention going on going on there and you're right like ATSIC is a half smart version of kind of the calls for Aboriginal nationhood and a lot of people calling for Aboriginal nationhood in the Northern Territory mm-hmm. at this time as well. Um, so yeah, like these are demands, and the state did respond. But now, what is there? Yeah, like you know, at the time, like mm-hmm. like I, I remember being involved in socialist organisations in the early nineties, and we had like a left critique of mm-hmm. that position, which was that it was incomplete. Right, mm. that you know, against native title, the argument should be for for land rights, you know. And I, I think also what was happening as well, like an alternative version was developing, where like indigenous struggles, the environmental movement, feminism, and the kind of like free party scene, mm. like encountered each other, mm. you know, where there was this like the the other part of the critique was that actually there'd be a complete reinventation reinvention of Australian mm. society. Yep. to like an ecological and feminist society and that mm. indigenous struggle for self-determination would be a key part of that. And I guess like yep. the Jabaluka blockade yes. was like the high point of that that <laughs> meeting together, you know, like... Yeah, um, that's interesting. And I think also as well it's like, you know, at the time, like 
I don't know just because if I'm out of the loop, like in the left, like amongst kind of ecological and feminist circles, there was a pretty serious kind of critique of, I guess, what of what would be considered, considered modernity on a whole. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and so this kind of like allowed an encounter with Indigenous struggle that those of us that had politics that were kind of sat within modernity Mm. Like have never been able to get right, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's what people are talking about with decolonization now or mm. or whatever. But I, I've just been thinking about how there was this moment where there was like this state project, and then there was this kind of alternative project to it as well. Yeah, like the Howard government. Well, not the Howard government. The Howard years, like, mm. broke on one hand the state project then mm-hmm. the alternative project, I'm not sure if it was really able to hold its coherence. And mm. now we're seeing something new emerge, Yeah, you know, with a, a, a with a younger generation. And I think that's yep. really going to mark, I think, 2017. Yeah, because there's big talk at the state level now of treaties going ahead. Mm. Both New South Wales and Victoria, is my understanding, is that that is back on the agenda in a big way. And this is all counterposed, of course, to, to the Recognize campaign, which if you want to talk about, I guess, like Recognize is like maybe like the logical continuation of the Howard years in a way, kind of um, kind of like symbol, kind of an anti-symbolic recognition mixed with kind of practical, what do you call it, practical reconciliation. Mm. So, yeah, I'm not sure exactly where that places the Recognize, but Recognize are definitely being rejected, right? Well, like, yeah, was there was there much was there much talk about that today? Not well, I mean, except for like anti in the context of you know, fuck recognized treaties now. Basically, mm. this is the that was the the dominant message certainly. You know, and a lot of anti recognized signs. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think the the thing that's worth commenting on as well. So you know, in Sydney, the news reports that there was a moment in the rally where. Um, Birigan Don Valesco was arrested by the police. Mm. And so um, Birigan is from the band Dispossessed. Um, I, don't know, I don't know them, but they have a very impressive reputation for being quite a, a key and committed activist um, over the last couple of years. Mm. Um, and see, what seems to have happened is that there, a speech was going on, a move was made to set an Australian flag on fire, and mm. the police kind of stormed in, um, yeah. ostensibly to kind of put the flag, the, extinguish the flag, the flag being burnt. But the reports are that they basically were equipped with, pre-equipped with fire extinguishers and kind of used them as weapons by like blowing them into the crowd. And we'll link to an article that has footage of this. Mm. Like, I don't think this is accidental. No. You know, I think, you know, this is that the state are mm. clearly targeting mm. the key key people in this generational leadership that's developing. And yeah. and this was an attempt to discipline them, right? That you no, know, they were waiting for this moment to do this. And mm. the, the Twitter reporting is that um that Dun Valesco has been let out on bail, so that's good. I don't know if there'll be any charges. But yeah. you know that it's <laughs> young indigenous people die in cells right so i think you know that the seriousness of this kind of threat um i think is evidence that the state is understanding what's going on yeah definitely i wonder you know because i've heard other stuff that the cops that you know it could have been like 
a reaction from you know these these particular cops. So I guess some people are taking a guess, like saying that this is like a kind of white nationalist thing from the police officers. Who, you know, like didn't want to see their flag burnt, and it'd be interesting to see you know oh, as this discussion happens over the next few days. I guess. Yeah. Look, I I think um, like I, I think there's a couple of different things here. I think the news reportage. I'm just trying to find here. Identified them as whatever the tactical response group is now. Okay, so it's um, not just cops. Like you're talking about. Yeah, them. like obviously, I think there's probably a particular kind of officer that participates yeah. in the in the tactical response group or, or whatever they're, they're now called. Yeah. But like my experience um, his, in the past, so, you know, over a decade ago when I was younger, um, with the New South Wales group that does these kind of, de- like they're pretty disciplined. Yeah, right? sure. They're, like the, the, their tactics were always, like they're the kind of cops that make a wedge and then smash into a crowd and, yeah. and fuck someone up, right? So yeah. I like I would think mm. that, no, I mean, I, this I'm has not come from orders, that you know, that, that, that this is attempt to single someone out and fuck mm. them up. Yeah. No, no, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, and speaking of singling people out, I mean, we've got a whole bunch of other things going on in terms of particularly the Centrelink stuff of people being... Of, 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 should we move on to that? Are we oh, happy to I, was just, I was just wondering if there was anything... Like, no, there was one... While we're talking about Invasion Day... The thing that I did want to comment on, because I didn't go to the rally today and, you yeah. know, I was around home and when I live in uh, in the federal seat of Oxley, which was Pauline Hanson's old seat, mm. and I think the thing that was really noticeable out here was how little Australia Day events were going on mm. and how you know, noticeable to other years, Yeah, right, that um, there, there were few houses with flags on them. Yep. But I think in the last week, I've only seen two cars with Australian flags stuck on top of them. Yep. And the, the one car that I saw in my neck of the woods, I don't know if this is important, but was being driven by a family uh, of, of an Asian, of Asian background. So probably not white nationalists, right? Yeah. Um, and then we went to the local pool and the people who worked there had Australian flag flags on their heads. But there yep. were none of that kind of Australian flag stickers on people's faces or anything like that. Mm. Like I think in some ways that there's this kind of exhort, you know, like there's been such a hyper-nationalism for so long. I'd be interested to see what other people's experiences were. Yeah, if, totally. If this has been kind of exhausted or pure mm-hmm. con- conjecture here, mm. if like the because last year the, the, the actual fascists were more prominent, yeah. And they dr- they deck themselves out in Australian flags. Mm. The vast majority of people who aren't fascists are just like, maybe yeah. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, they're kind of you know in a weird way giving the giving their brand a bad name, giving the <laughs> bra- the water the the wider brand of of Australian flag wearing. If it ever had a good name, it certainly has a worse name. Yeah, now. yeah, totally. And I think also as well part of the part of the effect of um of uh, of the debates around change the date, like whatever you think about that, and obviously yeah. there's lots of different sides about it, that, that, that has had a, like The Australian Today published a column by Ian McFarlane, mm. who he's now the head of the Queensland Resource Council. Was he a senator? Uh, yeah, let's say that. I don't think he was a member of any right now. I think he was a senator, yeah. Ian McFarlane... Um, so he was like hard on the right of the coalition. I'm not sure if he was a liberal or a national, but you know he's now. Um, he's a national senator, I want to say. Yeah. 
Okay. You know who's in the House of Reps? I'm, oh, I'm, using, well. I'm using the magic of Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, it's a former Australian politician who was elected in the Australian House of Reps for the D- Division of Groom Queensland for the Liberal National Party. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, he, he was he was a member of the Liberals, not. But he's always I was associated with the Nationals just because he was so on the hard right. He was in the Australian today with a column saying we should change the date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, that, mm. like that's fucking mind blowing. Mm, yeah, I mean, you know, and like the the Queensland Resource Council, like yeah. like most mining bodies, have a historical position of opposing any kind of gains to any kind of indigenous movements because they see it sensibly as a direct threat to their project yeah so i think i think that's really kind of fascinating as well and i'd be really interested to see if listeners had any kind of a a similar experience um in terms of um you know what's what's been going on um Mm. yeah well i wanted to say one thing on the on the mcfarlane thing because yeah like you 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 mentioned you know that he's now with the queensland resources council Mm. and i'm interested yeah as to what degree this might be kind of if these people think very strategically, that they might be thinking, well, maybe if we get on the side of symbolic recognition, kind of like how Twiggy Forest was always keen to be seen as kind of like leading indigenous employment and whatnot. And they all like to talk about how they're employing indigenous people, they're helping indigenous people out, you know. Mm. Maybe this is part of like a broader thing of say, oh, well, we support recognition in ex- basically in exchange for saying, you know, we're going to continue mining on your land, right? You know, like as some kind of like, yeah, I guess that's possible. Impressive in some ways, whilst continuing, you know, not having to, and maybe like being able to like keep the debate going in that direction rather mm. than in other directions. It might be more like treaties. It might be more like indigenous control over la- more indigenous control over the land. Yeah, people are wanting to exploit. I don't know. Just a thought. I yeah, look, like I think, I think it's entirely possible. But like for me, I'm at the moment. I'm going to argue that something is happening. On the ideological yeah. sphere, like mm. you know, the, in, in the in the way that, like, um, yeah, you like the, the thing that I, I kind of like the flag waving in terms of Australian mm. nationalism is yeah. relatively new. Like, I, well, yeah, I mean, the whole Australia Day big thing is relatively new. You know, like it's in nineteen ninety three mm. that it really started to become the national holiday that it is now. Really. It's interesting because that, of course, coincides with the high point of the Keating. Yeah, it's interesting. Keating's version of new nationalism. Mm. So it's intersections there, of course, as well. But I think people, sometimes younger people don't believe it that, like, in Mm. the first half of the 90s, I've talked a lot about the 90s today. Like, I I feel like I'm really trapped in in nostalgia, like, (laughs) at the moment. Um, Demonstrating your age. Yeah, I think part of it is demonstrating your age, and part of it is, like, thinking about Mark Fisher's work. And we, in the future, we'll we'll do a show on Mark Fisher's book, Capitalist Realism. Um, But, like, in the early 90s, like, every Saturday in the Sydney Morning Herald, Mm. There were people putting in alternative solution, alternatives for the Australian flag. Yeah, because for like a large section of the population, it was seen as a given that you know you had this multicultural turn to Asia, that mm. Australia was going to become a republic. Yeah, um, and, and this was just going to happen. Mm. And and then with the kind of Howard victory, you then have this. The, the cultural wars that shift to the right. I think the other thing that I wanted to kind of point out as well is that, like, um, and we should think about this this more seriously, I think also what's happened as well, Australia has changed. Yeah. You know, like, like we live in the wonderful reality that is Pauline Hanson's nightmare. 
Yeah. You know, the, 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 demo, the demographics of Australia have changed. That there's more and more people from all around the world that live in, live in Australia. And for all the, the, the racism that does exist, there's a large amount of daily anti-racism yeah, that goes totally. on too. People work out ways of how, to, of how to get on with each other really successfully. Yeah. Um, and I think the dream world of Australia is shifting. You know, the, I look at, like, my son and the world he'll grow up in and who's in, like, his daycare and where they come from and the accents they speak and, like, mm. like the kind of just practical multiculturalism of his life yeah. is going to be far more advanced than yeah. the formal anti-racism of my life, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely, yeah. I think it's already changing a lot in, in terms of kids coming up now, like young people in their teens now, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think so too. Like, and part of this for me is like this, this, thing I, this thought I've been having is like the challenge at the mm. moment is not to prove that racism exists. Everyone yeah. knows that racism exists. Yeah. Like the challenge at the moment is to argue that it can be abolished. You know, and yeah. that and that yeah. it can be abolished through a large collective effort and yeah. paying attention to some of this kind of everyday that people are really quick to just kind of dismiss as the multiculturalism of the food court. I actually yeah. think is about revealing that there is already this great wealth of anti racism that exists mm -hmm. in our lived lives. Yeah. And it's a and, and the ordinary everyday people are somehow are like far advanced. Mm. Than the saber rattling and flag waving of the political class. Yeah, no, I think that that's yeah, totally. I mean, you can look at statistics about all of this um, in terms of people's acceptance has gone up significantly of Muslim evasion immigration. People, mm. are, you know, there was that one poll last year that I think was then discredited by several other polls. Um, yeah, like that there is an increasing acceptance, but that there's just not the political will. To accept that mm. there's no political, there's no way for that to be for that's those opinions that exist at the level of the social to be translated to the level of the political. Mm. There's such a disjuncture between the social and the political now. Yeah, that there isn't actually a force out there that's talking in this way. Yeah, and like you know, Di Natale stuff, Greens leader, um, Di Natale stuff about you know the flag burning is like a violence. Mm -hmm. Is you know like to show how I guess dis disjointed they are in terms of being people who might be able to represent that. Yeah. Do you want to like, give the yeah. listeners a bit of a, if, are we interested in this? Are we interested in what's happening at the, in the Greens? No, no not, not this podcast. It's too much. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. We, haven't, we, we, we literally haven't left the first topic yet. It's <laughs> well, tense. Okay. Um, I, I think, I, I, think um, I really think it's going to be an interesting year and, and there's this kind of young generation organized young people indigenous yep. people who yep. are really pushing ahead yeah and i guess uh, it's going to be like how the rest of us relate to that right yeah which is uh, which is uh, our problem um yeah. which is like yeah listening yeah in your ear, having both ears open and just like really just seeing like the periscope mm. talk about the periscope the inverted periscope you know we we, we listen and we work our theories around that, you know, yeah. and how we ally, obviously, kind uh, of allyship and solidarity 
that that entails. You know, I think we shouldn't also um, downplay how jarring that can be and how serious thinking that might involve. You know, yeah. like so, <laughs> like in the warriors of Aboriginal resistance, for example, have you know asked um, socialist organisations to not kind of promote their identity at rallies. Mm. I think that's pretty challenging. And I know a number of people in Warriors of Aboriginal which Resistance... Was, which was really expected today. You know, there was... I didn't see much, by the way, if any socialist mm. presence or socialist presence, which is good. Yeah, that's great. And I think mm. the, other, the other thing is as well, it's like on a more kind of serious theoretical point, you know, you've got... I've seen people in Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance basically saying, you know, look, their kind of decolonial struggle doesn't mm. fit into the kind of notions of socialism or communism or anarchism inherited from a European tradition, right? Like, and that, no. uh, that attempt to think what they're trying to do is not opposition to colonialism. Mm. Um, within that framework is a kind yep. of theoretical colonialism in itself. And I think yep. there's a real desire for people to kind of like just kind of paste over that easily where yep. I actually go, well, that is actually like a really serious um, mm. kind of intervention and is really important to think about. Like, Definitely. And to actually go, there is perhaps a difference between like a kind of political position or organisational militant position that says, okay, there was this colonial project here and what we're struggling for is like a way out of that in its entirety. Like mm. um, against one that is the kind of understanding the world that I have, mm. which is we are within capitalist globalisation mm. and it is going to be from within that that a desirable alternative society will emerge yep. and that struggle will necessarily have to involve the abolition of racism, the abolition of sexism and so on. Yep. But there is actually a quite serious like difference there and I don't just think it does anyone any favours by pretending that it doesn't exist. I don't think that means like obviously you, you still are engaged in solidarity and struggles mm. but let's be serious about how deep the kind of decolonial challenge actually is to our thinking rather than just say, oh, we were already there? No, I mean, I think that's, yeah, no, I, I definitely wasn't implying that. Mm. No, I wasn't saying you were, but... No, I mean, and I think it's interesting, yeah, like, I mean, as a historian, you know, thinking about, you know, like, you know, we're, we're lingering on this topic, but, you know, that's, like... The, I think it's the, fine. I think, I think people which, will be interested in this. Yeah, no, like, I hope so, you know. We always hope so. But, you know, the amount of people who they are, who, who warriors of Aboriginal resistance are engaging with people like Franz Fanon, um, mm. people from the, in the Black Panther Party, these are Marxists. A lot of these people are coming out of that Marxist tradition but decolonizing it in and of themselves, you know, and decolonizing that tradition. Mm. So it's good to kind of go back and look at those examples, I guess, as well. And then look at how white people related to, say, the Black Panthers. And we talk about this a lot, but there was a lot of was a lot of white solidarity groups with the Black Panthers who did really productive and interesting things, right? Mm. There's a kind of radical tradition there. I'm not saying that we borrow and just do the same thing, but that yeah. you know you acknowledge that that's there and that people have done that in the past. Actually, I think this is like kind of really hitting with I think which is an important thing for us non-Indigenous people to think about. Yeah. It is actually how we understand whiteness. Mm. And I think there's kind of, and again, going back to saying that I think what is radical is not arguing that domination exists, but that domination can be overcome. 
Yeah. Right. And like I've been reading John Holloway lately and, you know, he kind of puts this in at the beginning. He's like your starting point needs to be a starting point of the struggle against domination. Because if you start with domination, you end up in these kind of theoretical positions. But I think there is this kind of debate going on. And I think there's been some really good articles. I'm not sure if you read them in Viewpoint in the mm-hmm. US context, one called yep. White Purity and yep. another um, called um, Safety Pins and Swastikas. Yeah, I know I've both. They're both really good and we'll link to them. Yeah, and I think the thing that's really interesting is that like in, in White Purity, you know, that the, part of the argument is saying, well, look, in the 60s, people like Noel Ignatiev mm. were having this other kind of theory of whiteness, which wasn't <laughs> that like whiteness is the series of of privileges that you get and your life is grey. But I think the metaphor was like whiteness is the bait on the fish hook, right? That it's this level of kind of maybe privilege or a psychological wage that gets Mm. you to accept a broader position of exploitation and subjugation to that social order. So like the possibility... So what's then interesting is like, well, people in struggle that are white... Mm. are probably in a, in, a, in a position to challenge that, if that makes sense. But yeah. Against, I think, the kind of dominant way of thinking about it at the moment is that whiteness is just really solid. Um, mm. To be caught in it is to be just you're a fucked person. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and, and therefore, like, the way out is this individual project of, like, moral recantation, if that's the right word. And I yep. think, like, part of it is actually going, you know, when we're talking about white, we should be talking about white fragility, not in the sense that, like, just mm. white people can't deal with the truth, but mm. the social structure of whiteness is fragile and there's the possibility yep. for its overcoming, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I've, been, I've been kind of seeing, like, this kind of debate that's been happening on, or this chat that's been happening on social media between, like, I think you and Paddy um, mm. and Evan looking at, yeah. like, the Communist Party. Yeah. And, and its relationship. And the thing, like, you'd be able to speak about in more detail about what was actually content of this. Mm. But, like, the, one of the things that I found really interesting was, like, well, probably people in struggle around the material conditions of their own life are probably more likely to start challenging the entire ideological edifice. Yeah, totally. Because I guess, like, what is racism really in the in, in my kind of really basic understanding of how racism emerges is, is really like the people experience oppression in their daily lives, right? They experience capitalist oppression. So white people experience capitalist and then tend to look around for blame for that, basically. Mm. The easiest way thing to blame for that is obvious physical differences, you know? And then that is replicated every day you know you make we make racism every day right like this is if you want to talk about holloway you know Mm. process of you know every day we make capitalism we make racism you know and i guess what the communist party and other groups were able to do it's like you said through that collective act of struggle is you know you start to recognize that yeah like you're, you're you're oppressed because of capitalism but that equally then other groups are are, are oppressed, but they didn't just say, you know, oh, your Aboriginal people are as oppressed as us, or we should be, or, you know, this is like a level playing field. They very much recognized, even back in the 1930s, the Communist Party was, had recognized, you know, they, they described Indigenous people as the slaves of slaves, mm. as in working class people are already enslaved, but, you know, and this is, that's an interesting kind of point. That's a great metaphor, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, 
you know, on one hand it shows how indebted they were to the American example as well. The American Communist Party is a nascent kind of um, example in the Black Republic's thesis, which is basically that um, the South, in America it was that like, the Deep South should become like a series of Black Republics, mm. African American Republics, and this is then copied basically by the Australian Communist Party in that they say, you know, that, um, that basically Aboriginal people should have like self-determination in the 1930s. And isn't to say that this was a perfect position, of course, nor that it was even necessarily made in consultation with Aboriginal people in Australia. Mm. It was very much made as part of like a transnational circuit of racial ideas, particularly coming out of like the, common, the Communist International. But, you know, certainly they were ahead of the, ahead of the mark there, I think, which is, which is interesting. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Mm. And we can link to those articles and, yeah, no, and people can read more on that. But I think we've talked for this for about 40 minutes. <laughs> so was- We have about 20 minutes. I don't want to go anything <laughs> over an hour. So. Okay, well, there's other stuff I guess I wanted to talk about. Mm. Um, like, so one of the things I, I did want to talk about was, um, was Centrelink, I guess. Yep. So um, people were, were paid attention that from the end of last year, um, there's been this process where Centrelink has been data matching basically mm. the information that people had provided about how much they had made at work with the ATO records. And what seems to happen is that the way that the ATO records and this combines is that they mm. take your yearly income and they average it over the year. And mm. this then therefore means that it generates an overpayment. People mm. are then sent letters and these letters then get them caught in a kind of a Kafkaesque cycle that involves debt collectors hunting them down to pay astronomical amounts of money. Mm. Um, there's a couple of different things that I'm really interested in in this, I think one thing that um, for the incapacity of the state, right? So mm. the level of malfunction that's going on. Yeah. Um, why this is happening? So mm. I think like some of the debate that that is hap- has happened so far is basically this is happening because the liberals hate poor people. Yeah. Right. Like, but I think. It's an ideological problem. Yeah, I think what it misses is, you know, like when this strategy was announced in the MAIFO, so the Mid-Year Economic and Financial Outlook, yeah. um, Matthias Corman, I'm pretty mm. sure, like made this, con- like framed it as this is how we're going to reclaim $2 billion. The figure apparently going over forward estimates has been reported as $4.5 billion that is actually really crucial to the current projections, which are bullshit anyway, but the current projections of how the Australian government is going to manage increasing debts and deficit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, this is not just that they hate poor people. It's Mm. more like this is a key element to to managing the budgetary problems that the Australian state has Mm. due to increased spending and generally declining incomes because of the shit situation of the world economy yep. by shaking down ordinary people. <laughs> quite, it's quite blatant when you phrase it like that, isn't it? You well, know? it is a shakedown, right? Like, yeah. And the like, thing that, 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 this is the end that we can talk about. This is interesting. It's the privatization of this debt and that they then sell it on. 
the debt collectors, like individually or as packages? I don't know. Like you know more about this than I do about like securitization and. But it's privatized debt in two levels. Where on one hand, what they do is they give it to privatized debt companies to chase it down. But it, it in itself is a way of taking state debt, federal mm. debt, and yeah. privatizing it to the debt of the person they're chasing down. It yeah. says, you know, the Australian state can't pay this money, so you will. And the thing that kind of fucking blows my mind about this is like, okay, so somewhere between 20 to 90% of these debts are wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but even for the ones that write, are right, mm. who, how do they expect them to be paid? Yeah. You know, like you're kind of identifying a group of people who, you know, the, the thing that's interesting, it's not people who are just without employment, who are in employment, but yeah. obviously went through a period of time where they weren't, right? So... <laughs> like probably don't have huge reserves and saying, okay, you owe us somewhere between... And the figures we get are like seven to $40,000. Yeah, and it's shifting under pensioners now as well. So you're getting pensioners who are being given $45,000 bills. Which and, is know, the latest story. Sorry, my grandparents are just going to freak this shit out and they're not going to know what, what to do with that. Yeah, totally. And also it's like, you know, we're talking about like an Australian population that already is at a historical level of debt. Right, that you know that our our debt is a hundred was a hundred eighty to one hundred ninety percent of our yearly income, right? In terms, if we're going to look at household mm. debt that way, and then going to push more money onto that, like that's kind of yeah. like it's interesting where it also talks about just the fucked position that the Australian state is in. You know, like this yeah. this Maifo helped the Australian Australian state keep its AAA credit rating. But if yeah. part of keeping a triple A credit rating is shaking down the poor, yeah, that's fucking mind blowing, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's not good. And it's I, uh, it doesn't. It's not. Yeah, and it's like it's almost like like where like four point five billion. Who's doing the figures on that? Like, well, I don't know. Like the, the, as soon as you look at these figures, like, that's interesting as well, right? People. That, that's interesting that they go that you know what's the methodology behind that because how do you get this number before you've already done all the calculations yeah. like I, I guess what they do yeah. is do a sample set go this is what you know I assume they do a sample set and go this is what it looks like the debt is and they extrapolate that out yeah. um, there's a couple of things that I think is really super interesting also about this like the kind of historical discourse or ideology around people who are unemployed, I think since the early 80s, has gone that there's this bunch of people who are, dole, who are on the dole and they're dole bludgers mm. and they're separate from the workforce, right? Yep. But I, what this effort has actually done has kind of undermined that because yeah. the people they're identifying is people that have been on welfare but yeah. are also in the workforce, yeah. So it's actually kind of like pulling apart that key ideological pivot, mm. you know. Um, but the thing that I'm kind of interested in, I don't know how much attention is, like there's been a, a lot of anger about this, but mm-hmm. so far it hasn't manifested itself into stuff beyond, like there's whistleblowing going on. Yeah. Like there's a lot of people in Centrelink who are leaking information, like and, you know, more power to you, threatened with prosecution basically, yep. like job loss and prosecution. Mm. Um, some journalists are following this. The CPSU has put together a letter, um, but it's kind of hit a block, mm. you know, and it, I just wonder if, you know, there is a possibility for, for some kind of more serious antagonism to come out of this 
or or not, and why that is, I think, is probably worth thinking about. Yeah, well, I mean, I think this is um, one of those kind of conflicts that's really happening at the social level. It's really about people's everyday lives, right? Like, this yeah. is a really kind of crack struggle. Yeah. But yeah, there isn't a political force. Like, there's the Unemployed Workers Union who've been doing some really cool stuff recently, yeah. um, Australian, the Australian Employed Workers Union, but I don't think they've really got the facilities or capacity. And as you say, these are not people, they're not targeting the unemployed, the long-term mm. unemployed, right? Yeah. They're targeting people who have had a brief, probably, period of unemployment, as many have, in the yeah. last 10 years, and who've then gone on to work. Because if you target a long-term unemployed person, you're not going to get anything out of them, right? Because they haven't had any taxable earnings. Yeah. But, you know, um, yeah. So it's all very, very odd. I, I think there's a compositional question here in the sense that, like, yep. how you experience Centrelink. Like, you know, you mm. read, and for me, I'm very influenced and inspired by the 1980s experience in Wollongong of the Wollongong Out of Workers Union. Or yeah, wow. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, like, what do they do? You know, they squat a house across mm. the road from, from the DSS, I guess it would have been at the time. Mm-hmm. And that provide and like that provides them this mm-hmm. key organizational pivot, right? And that people spend a yep. lot more time in the DSS being processed. Yep. So there's this there's this organizational capacity that is already built into you're sitting there in this bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. But like I it's been a while since I've been on Centrelink and I've been nervously calculating like when did I last get my Centrelink payments? You yeah. know, like is a yep. debt letter coming for me? But a lot of it's been far more like individualized to my gov or you're yep. kind of in and, in and you're out. And a couple of years yep. ago, some of us, when we attempted to organize some stuff around the, ex- the extension of the basics card, mm. um, we found organizing at Centrelink quite difficult. Yep. Like part of the difficulty is that the key people in the group weren't unemployed, right? So it was like finding the time to be there. But also like Centrelink was a time where it was a place where people went in and got, went in and left. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know. Maybe that's not entirely the way. Maybe the the space of the Centrelink is still like a organisational or confront confrontational space. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's also one of the kind of like the difficulties in in terms of allowing this shit to happen. Yeah. Totally. I think. Yeah. Just back to what I was talking about. I guess that there's a social struggle here, but there's no, and that's not being reflected in the on the level of the political in the terms of like large kind of campaigning groups or whatever. Mm. I think that just shows, I guess, that there's such a disjuncture between, I guess, us maybe who sit at, like, at the political level and that social struggle that goes on. And, you know, like, that... But it's interesting because, you know, you'd say that normally this is the kind of thing that one nation would profit off quite well because it's a kind of a... because it's a malfunctioning of a large bureaucracy, right? Mm. But on the other hand, but it seems like Pauline Hansen's actually kind of gone on this like quite the opposite. It has mm. a like very anti-unemployed sentiment. Yeah, I, I the thing that uh, yeah, I think that's the, and we should I think we'll finish maybe by talking about Queensland and One Nation because yeah. we should probably talk about that. Um, mm. the, one of the things that strikes my mind is, is this a problem of organisation. Mm. You know that um, what and the, the, I think there's a kind of like you know robo trot. A kind of response, which you know, whenever the problem, the problem is we don't have a big enough party, right? Um, mm. But I think that the, what I'm more interested in that that after the reconstruction of the the, the end of Fordism in the 80s, 
You yeah. know, the launch of neoliberalism, what we haven't successfully worked out in Australia is the appropriate organisational form for the way that we work and live our lives now. That's um, right. You yep. know, and this is one of those examples where we're, we're really, it's really shown that we don't, like, there is this anger out there mm. and it's like, well, where do you go? What do you do? Yep. How do you meet people? All yep. those things that could be solved, but you know, by some kind of formal organisation, or maybe even not formal organisation. Like maybe the organisational forms of um, of the present look far more like an app. Like who knows, right? But yeah. um, since that hasn't currently been cracked, mm. that there's a that it's not able to realise itself. I guess the other side to this is that it might be that those organisational forms are only going to come out of struggles. Maybe there's a chicken and the egg kind of response here but yeah. as part of my early reading i've been reading the new zapatista book okay. and the thing that they kind of hammer home is like without organization you are not you got nothing yeah. um and I, th I that's one of those things that certainly made me go i wonder if that's like had part of the problem here totally yeah there are a few organizations and i'm thinking about that a little bit more like unite in brisbane has hosted some forums recently about homelessness and about and um, and and rights of access to urban space, but also in South Australia. Yep. It's all the anti-poverty. Yeah, and, and coming out of the ads. coming out of the Unite stuff here is the formation of an anti-poverty network as well. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I, I I think and actually in terms of like maybe um, hopefully Paz is listening. Yes. But it would be one of our future interviews. Let's see if we can get yep. Paz on the show. Let's do it. And um yes. and find out because because like. like like if I'm going, the problem is there's no organisation, and then you're like, well, actually, here, here is one. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> let, let's um, you know, like think about that and, and maybe see if we can get Paz on and and have a chat. A really good idea. Okay. Cool. Um, the other thing that I think that's going on at the moment, mm. um, really noticeable of the Chris of the Christmas break, there were two interesting, different struggles around freeway construction. Yep. So in Sydney, there's the West Connect. Protests or West, yep. West Connects. West Connects. Yeah, West it, Connects. I, think I have no idea how to pronounce it. Let's just go with that. Yeah, and then in, West, Sydney side, huh? in, in Western Australia, there's um, the protest against the Row 8 freeway that's being mm. constructed as well. Things, yeah. that I'm really, things that I'm interested about this, um, the Row 8 one in particular seems to involve like large-scale disobedience. Yeah. Um, so people... Pushing down fences, locking onto machinery. Yeah. I think. I think. I don't think it's been quite as militant as in Sydney, but there has certainly been disobedience. Arrests this last week. Yeah, and I, I think like I saw a photo in Western Australia of the horses charging into people as well. Oh yeah, I mean Western Australia, kind of like Queensland, and the deployment of large numbers of police. Yeah, so I think I think that's and also it's interesting because at the end of last year, um, Scott Morrison and Turnbull. Uh, re resurrected the the plan for infrastructure construction. That's as, right. as the, so at the moment, this figure gets quoted all the time that fifty billion dollars of infrastructure work is is being done. Like, I can't identify what that actually responds to. Um, mm. If you look at the ABS statistics, actually, infrastructure work is descending. Like, mm. there's less and less of it going on. But yeah. The, like and Morrison's kind of like, all right, we're going to spend more debt on this and less debt on other things. So it's a revised version of the Turnbull Abbott plan. And mm. what do you have as he announces two struggles against infrastructure actually going on? So yeah. no, I think one, as far as I can tell, the one in West Connect in Sydney is far more all about urban geography, like right to the city stuff, and the Row yep. Eight one is far more about protecting urban, um, 
maybe semi-urban or outside of the city wilderness and a wetlands. Yeah. But here's two struggles that where people are smack bang mm. against the cent- what is the, the main plank of, not they've got many planks, of the mm. government's plan to relaunch capital accumulation. Pretty fucking interesting. I'm going to mention one other thing that I heard about because I'm an avid radio national listener. Um, the extension of Shoalwater Bay up on the north, up near Rocky, mm-hmm. they're going to, the government apparently wants to repossess dozens of properties out there to build a huge new extension on the Shoalwater base out there. Um, apparently, there's like a sweetheart deal with Singapore. Okay. Billion dollars from the Singaporean government to do this. Um, for to what then, purpose? To make it bigger. Yeah, but to, to what? To, like to for, allow for Singaporean, more Singaporean um, um, troops to come and train. Really? Come and train there, yeah. So, um, and, the, and obviously, you know, just because it allow for more live fire exercises. This is all so thoroughly connected to what's going on geopolitically in, um, in Southeast Asia, of course. So it's really interesting. But yes, yeah, so there's like a, there's been a large protest meeting held mm. to oppose this. And of course, Pauline Hanson showed up. As kind yeah, of like, interesting. Like, I will go and talk to the Prime Minister about this. I will go and you know, solve your problems. Mm. So that's something to look to maybe as well. And see, you know, so there's lots of opposition in the inner cities to this development, but also the government infrastructure development. Yeah. You want to call a free fire range infrastructure development up north. Yeah, that, and then I guess as well it's going to be Adani as well. So well, Of course, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, we don't, yeah, okay, I mean, Adani, yeah, like that's, yeah, there's been a big launch a few weeks ago of kind of people around the Greens who are going to be doing lots of direct action mm. stuff in the next period. Did, uh, the next show, I want to try to record an interview with some cool Greens people in Brisbane, and we might be able to talk about this a bit. Yeah, because I've been interested in this too, because I've read some stories where it's talking about this huge network of people that are preparing to take, to take direct action in the cities. Yeah, that's right. right. So, yeah. so this is not going to be like Jabaluka, where people are going to yeah. head out to the site. And it seems to be like the, the, the kind of understanding that I read was like the indigenous peoples in the area have their own campaign on site that's being run, and that the negotiation has been that like the... The, the non-Indigenous people largely based in cities would be launching direct actions in the city. So that's, yeah. like, pretty interesting. And so that's inspiring, but, I, like, I'd, I'd want to know how much, like, I can't, is there, an organ, is there an organisational body for this, right? Like, are people actually prepared? Are people meeting? Is this going to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to dig into, I'd like to be involved in that, but I'd like to dig into that more too. Definitely, yeah. So that's something auguring for 2017. Okay. We have almost hit an hour. Okay, then the final thing that um, I'd, li- I'd like to... Two final thing to mention. End of last year, the relevant federal legislation was passed for, to reinstate the ABCC yep. and also as well some other pieces of legislation that I haven't read them yet that sit with that, including kind of establishing like a code of practice for government funding for infrastructure. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is actually really interesting. The Newman government... Uh, did this when they are in power. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, like, it's, it's actually really tactically smart, right? Because it basically says if you're a developer, mm. if you want to get government funding, 
Yeah. Uh, if you want to be, if you want to win one of these government infrastructure contracts, then you have to basically not have any kind of sweetheart deal with the union. So yeah. you can't have like um, union flags being displayed. You can't have all these other things too. So it's a way of like hitting the union by yeah. cutting out the companies where the union already has serious kind of influence in. Yeah. So okay, so this legislation has come through. Are we going to see a big showdown this year? Yeah. Like, um, I mean, is, is, this, is this going to be like the MUA was? The MUA dispute was mm -hmm. in 98. Um, yeah. Again, comrades in Wollongong were involved in the Maritime Defence Committee and they were part of the few groups of comrades that were like, this is coming, this is coming, and they got ready for it, right? Yeah. And I think it's like obviously there are people in the CFMEU who are probably all are about this, you know, I'm not issuing orders to, to anyone like that, but for the rest of us, I think the question is, do we see this coming? Is this something that's going to happen this year? What do we think it's going to look like? What, how are we going to respond in that and process? And going to be localised at? Yeah, totally. Like, that's the thing about the MUA dispute is it was localised, right? Largely to the, on the Sydney docks, right? Which, so, is the nature of the, which is the nature of, like, that's a, like a kind of practical question, right? Like you want yeah. to smash the docks, you've got to kind of, Get in there and rest, and get the get the MUA workers off the docks and get scabs yeah. in. Yep. You know, like, is it going to play out the same way? Does the government have the, the power to do it? Like, yeah. let's like start looking for the signs of their strategy at the yeah. very least. And recognizing their inherent weaknesses as well. Like, you know, yeah. this is they lost the construction bloody royal commission or whatever. Yeah, like was a blowover. A few prosecutions of people who probably should have been prosecuted. Under other laws, anyway, you know. Well, the biggest prosecution was their own kind of star, the Kathy Jackson, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So they, <laughs> yeah. That's, and that's a bloody minefield, isn't it? Yeah, for however much money was spent on it, fifty million dollars, or you know, yeah, right. into this royal commission with this secret report that even Jackie Lambie doesn't buy. Yeah, I shouldn't say even cool. Jackie Lambie. That that's kind of disparaging. Like, like I don't want to, like you know, I think Jackie. I'm certainly no Jackie Lambie supporter, but the kind of the, the kind of the snobbish anti-boganism that's applied to Jackie Lambie has no place in in radical politics. No place for such rhetoric on Living the Dream podcast. No place. No pro-bogan. No, um, we're not pro-bogan. <laughs> you obviously haven't you haven't heard of my new fashion plans for 2017. Oh God! It's just going to be it's running shorts, thongs, and a bum bag. <laughs> Jesus. Yes. Well, let's let's let's. Get the fashion line out. Um, <laughs> the fashion line. That is living the dream. Um, that, is, that would be living the dream, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, the BCC thing for me kind of, I don't know how much that's going to become realised, how much of it was just like to do with the election and then just kind of like went away. Yeah. The other thing that does seem like, like probably where the fight might happen is on the level of the Australian Fair Work Commission. Like mm. one of the right-wing com commissioners resigned last week. Yep. So interestingly enough, like I only know they're right. He was previously the legal counsel to Patrick's during the MUA dispute, right? Oh, okay. And, but, and, and so the the Australian and the Australian Financial Review are running this kind of it's dysfunctional. It's dysfunctional because it's stacked with union union heavies. And the Business Council of Australia had an article on the Australian. No fucking surprise. Um, yep. So maybe that's where it's going to happen. And that's kind of a hard terrain to intervene on. I yeah. think, uh, you know, a necessarily bureaucratised field, what mm. is the relationship to that, to actually people struggling on the ground? Um, yeah. Maybe that's where it'll happen. Yeah, in a way it's similar to the 
defend Gillian Triggs type thing where, you know, that's completely disjointed from actual social movements, mm. right? So there's some... But yeah, I think that's interesting. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's the other thing on that, that in terms of, you know, begin, last year was a year where it started with, with really inspiring struggle around Lady Salento. Um, mm. It didn't seem to be able to cement itself into something more ongoing and more concrete. But what seems to be happening have been these road blockades. Mm. Um, I can't even something I'll find and put a link to it where people are like blocking roads as part of the protest in the in the so there, there is things bubbling along in the struggle against the detention center complex as well. So um, yeah, definitely, yeah, that's that's going to be a continuing thing. Hopefully, yeah. yeah, and hopefully we'll get some bloody resolution. Oh fuck it! Like some of these poor people. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's one of those things where I, probably for a lot of us we've got the kind of privilege, again, you know, to use the term, where yeah. we can block out the daily horror of it. Um, yeah, and perfect. I actually kind of think that's, you know, the per- part of the popularity or the purpose of the border regime. Yeah. Part of it is to allow people in Australia to imagine the rest of the world doesn't exist. Yeah. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, yeah. like to, to keep, to maintain this bubble. Of, of what's going on but so um so john we, we're going over time now is there anything else you wanted to talk about in this welcome to 2017 it, like at the moment i feel we're, pres- we're we're looking at an optimistic year or yeah, at least a year yeah. of struggle I, i'm my, my partner and i were expecting our second child this year so i'm pretty excited about two, yes. thank you very much i'm pretty excited about 2017 i think there's good reason to be excited at the local level and and we haven't even talked about the right to the city staff, you know. We'll, oh, and I, I, want to, I think the, the next show we'll, we'll be featuring an interview with some, some cool people who are doing right to the city work in Brisbane. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Yep. What, kind of, what do you want us to talk about this year in the podcast? Yeah, I mean, I think we had a bit of an international focus towards the end of the year. Mm. I think going local is going to be really helpful as yeah. a way of thinking about the global. So I think I want to talk about right to the city stuff is my, I haven't really thought a lot beyond that actually, but I do think that talking to some people from the anti-poverty network will be useful. Yeah. Um, and yeah, thinking a bit about Adani, like more about Adani is going to be really useful. Um, and you were talking about del- someone from Deliveroo. Someone yeah. So I, I also want to um, like, um, talk about Deliveroo as well. I think um, that's a pretty interesting kind of struggle that is going on and changing to capitalism. Some more kind of high theory shows I wouldn't mind doing this year. I'd like to do a show on Mark Fisher, who tragically lost his life uh, recently, his book Capitalist Realism, because I think it's actually a really important book. It's a book people read, um, and it is part of the theory of our time. And I think we should also be doing a show on the 150th anniversary of Capital and the 100th anniversary of the Russian Revolution at the same time. Like, like a show about, like, is there something in, the, in that entwined inheritance that is mm. important for us now? Yeah. You know, I, um, definitely I'd be interested in, in that. Um, and you've been super busy as well. You've been in speaking at Brisbane Free University and doing reading groups and a whole bunch of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So I hope to um, to continue doing my little bit of activist scholarship and and whatnot, as well as doing lovely podcasts. But yeah, look, I think it's going to be a good. I think it's going to be a good year. I think there's a lot of possibilities, and I think our listeners should maybe make some suggestions about what they'd like to hear. Yeah, totally. So, 
um, like comment on the blog or hit us up on Twitter. Um, the new Facebook group. Our new, new Facebook group, what you'd be interested 50, in. Something, 51 likes. Wow, that's, that's so huge. Look, keep building that, share it. Yeah, I did actually have one, one person who contacted me because um, we, we mirror this on Libcom saying oh. that they'd be interested in some international interviews as well. Um, so we can put some of those in the year. I think the thing that like one of my real commitments this year is if there is a state election that's called, that we don't get sucked into a vortex of all we do is everyone just gets involved around the state election, at mm. whether, you know, campaigning for the Labour Party of the Greens or some kind of critical distance, worried about One Nation, right? And yeah. that we forget this space for the other struggles, so I'm going to write a piece um, in the next couple of months for the blog called Elaine Badu versus Pauline Hanson, um, thinking about a Badu article. I think that's a good title. So yeah, well. um, and some other, I'm writing some other stuff on power because I think this is a year where people are talking about power and how we can think about power. And on the with sober senses blog, more stuff on infrastructure is in the works too. Totally great. Yeah, and I mean, not to contradict you on the state election point there, but talking to Rob. Good friend of the show this morning um, about the yeah. There's going to be a good chance of the Greens pulling off another great win, maybe um, in South Brisbane at the state election. So that'd be interesting. Well, you know, like I think um, yeah, like uh, let's get some people on from the Greens. You know, I'm not a member of the Greens, and I'm quite critical to parliamentary processes. But there are two very separate things going on. There's the, the around Jono Sree's campaign and then mm. winning the council where you've had... But basically, people in the Greens have... One of my successful strategies where a radical left, a very interesting radical left, has made themselves hegemonic, right? Mm. Um, yep. But then you have a very different process in New South Wales around this group, Left Renewal, mm. um, which has turned into this kind of like really interesting kind of shit fight. Um, but but the yeah. thing the thing that interests me some real uh, cleavages in the greens. I think. Yeah, the thing that interests me is that there is obviously comrades, mm. people who are committed to an emancipatory anti-capitalist project, mm. who are involved in two different projects in the greens. Yes, right. Like um, even if you've got the kind of default ultra left position that I have, mm. you should think about that seriously, right? Like. Um, which we've we've done, you know, when we previously interviewed you, viewed Anna, but I think there'll be more of that happening this year. I think so. I think that's exciting to look forward to. All right, so and um, yeah, we'll be speaking to everyone again soon. Yeah, I think I'm gonna um, play a song by Dispossessed at the end of the episode. Cool. I Maybe we could intro it with AB Original. Oh, they'll have to buy it on iTunes first. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's an excellent idea. Let's do that. All right, see you, John. Talk soon. Thanks. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Living the Dream. Um, we say it's the podcast, the Hoo-Ha Group. I'm not even sure if we're a group. Does that uh, even exist anymore? It doesn't. No, we're, I, the dream. we're just living the dream. All right, dream. see you, John. Bye-bye. Thanks.